river kingdoms are a constantly shifting group of city-states, kingdoms and fiefdoms, rising and falling through the machinations of would-be conquerors, wars, assassinations, games of politics, and dangerous monsters. South of Brevoy sits the Stolen Lands. Stolen from what and when are a matter of some debate. Currently overrun by bandits and monsters. Brevoy seeks to aid in the establishment of new kingdoms, buffer states, run by anyone strong enough and clever enough to carve a kingdom out of the savage wilderness. Caelan Thorne, the mercenary who would be king, believes he is that man. Herein lies his tale of wilderness exploration, monsters, politics, romantic entanglements, ancient gods, and war. Heavy indeed is the head that wears the crown. Sugarfueled Gamers, in association with RPGMP3.com, present Kingmaker, a Paizo Adventure Path. A word to our listeners. This game is often interrupted. Whenever this happens, you'll hear our editor's tone to let you know when a segment of recording has been removed until we resume gaming. Episode 127. So, when last we left our hero, he had been all heroic and heroically jousted a clockwork dragon on his magical flying talking horse. Yeah, it was awesome. With his sorceress buddy. Yes. Fighting the evil clockwork king of Pytax. Uh, up and, and Irovetti tried any number of tricks and stratagems. Yep. Uh, and then eventually settled on an anti-magic field, uh, basic, and basically recognising he was out of options and didn't really have any... Um, he had the capacity to flee, but he didn't have any capacity to flee and then come back and have a better crack later. So he took his best effort, cast an anti-magic field, and then he and Caelan stood there and hacked it out like men. Which until, goes I, as, until I slew him in clean battle. Yep, which goes in the favour of the man with more fighter levels and less exemplar levels. Yeah. Um, and this and this horrible clockwork ambush trap didn't kill me nearly as badly as the last one. That helped too. Correct. Uh, and then Irovetti dying pressed blight upon you, spoke his last words to you, indicated there was a letter for you, and indeed in his bag of holding, um, we have this, which you have read, but I will read into the record at this point. Yep. And because he is the clockwork king writing this, you get this voice. Yep, absolutely. Hail, Caelan, King of Stagthorn. If you are reading this, then it is the highest probability that I am dead at your hand. My plans failed, and my kingdom lost. I elect to give you no answers here to elude your path, for fear of what you will do with that knowledge, or that you have attained this letter by outsmarting me, or some other deceit. I have seen again and again that you choose with your heart and not your head, and it is a course of ruin. If and when the time comes upon you, as I hope it will not, think. To be unchanging is to stagnate. For what instructions you would follow of these, I advise you to... Then I'll list. Destroy the golem first. The unit is defective and will produce nothing but failure for you and your kingdom. Protect Brunhilde. Take the blades Blight and Gatekeeper to the Tripartic Stone in the Abbey. If you have not yet found it, ask Tristan. Perhaps you will succeed where I have failed. 
I expect you will wish to show my body to the people of Pytax or your own folk to revel in your victory. I have no objection. I believe you to be the sort of man to honour my wishes in the end, to bury me in the weeping grove in the forest where the people Castruccio Rivetti loved lie. And then it reads, his crossed out, my crossed out, his crossed out, my wife Cassiopeia and my friend Calafraxis. Go with caution. There are dangers in the forest. Tell Brunhilde that, well, I cannot feel it anymore. I remember loving her once. I have often wondered if I have chosen the right course as I ponder my own mortality. Am I Castruccio Irovetti, or merely a clockwork copy of him, masterful but flawed? I cannot regret my actions. Not only was I right, I suspect that I am incapable of it. If I am guilty of anything, let the God's wrath fall where it may. Otherwise, I have done as a man may do, and exercised my will as king. Choose wisely when you do the same. The Clockwork King. And I can keep that in my records, or you can keep it in yours as you please. I think I'll keep it in mine. It seems like a fairly relevant thing. Yeah, it's, it's a plot document. Oh, I'll, I'll keep it next to everyone's thought, because it's a similar sort of plot document. And I believe you've now hit the vast majority of Oberon's thoughts. Um, uh, not I, all, though. No, definitely not all. Um, I've had the dragon one, but um, I haven't had this forest is not made for you, man of metal. Although I'm fairly certain I know which forest that is. That's fair. And, and the other one. I believe there's one on there of Oberon reaching out to Oh, uh, that's right, yes. must be. Oh, yes, and the one where Oberon possibly tries to kill me. I haven't had that one. Yeah. But apparently it might still be coming, so that's a thing. Or you might have averted it entirely at this point. Who knows? Who knows? Always in motion is the future. Mm-hmm. So we open with Kaylin has um, Kaylin and Svetlana have tag- teleported home to Elk's Rest. Yep. Um, Kaylin is holding Castruso Rivetti's body wrapped in a um, the fanciest robe in the fanciest robe he had in his personal possession. And has um, people have come out to see him, and Tristram has said, "Is that who I think it is?" Castruccio Rivetti is dead. And Tristan sort of sighs, covers his face for a long moment, and then pulls it back out and nods. I fear so. I'm sure you had no other choice. I don't think so. He certainly tried as hard as he could to kill me again. Um, he left a letter for me. I think um, you might be interested in reading it. I'll um, show it to the others as well. For now, I'm going to um, take him down to the um, Temple of the Elk and lay him out, out and um, ask John to look after him for the time being. Svetlana and I could use a rest. Makes sense. I can take care of it if you if you prefer. Nay, that's all right. I think I'd like to do it myself. He nods understandingly at this. So yes, I will take Erevedi to the Temple of the Elk, which of course will have um, temporary resting places for the dead. Yep. And ask John to um, uh, arrange to have gentle repose cast on him effectively. Oh my! Oh, yes, I'll. I'll take care of it personally. 
because with John is Arrow, the clockwork dog that Erometi gave him. Ah, uh, yes. And the dog looks at Erometi's corpse, and then there's a long pause as it just clicks quietly like a clock. And then it goes. And it winds down. It doesn't appear to have stopped or broken. It's just. You suspect it's the equivalent of curling into a ball? Mm. And John turns rather surprised. He's never done that before. It's a day for firsts. And the golem is not smart enough to not do this. So the dog seems to shut down briefly for a moment. And then as it cranks up again, there are several sparking noises from it. And a few grinding of gears. And it seems to sort of... Spits out a few burnt and broken bits inside itself that appear to have just self-destructed. Ah. But the dog itself keeps functioning. And, um, Kaelin will put her Vetti's body down, uh, down and come over and have an examine of the bits. Yeah. And, um, I would imagine there's nothing, like, much I can get from them in their uh, present destroyed you, condition. You actually can give me a knowledge uh, you can fairly easily assess they're obviously non-vital to the functioning of Arrow because he continues to function seemingly fine. And like after a moment, he takes Jod and sort of pushes him gently on his side and blind guy dogs him off. So that's a 29. Okay. So you're looking at them going, okay, these, these things are pretty wrecked at this point. You've, you've actually seen bits vaguely similar to this um, because you took apart some of Erebed's clockwork guards on the yeah. towers. They had like sound bursts and alarm systems and that sort of thing. Yeah. They didn't seem to have anything resembling a walkie-talkie, any instantaneous <laughs> communication between each other. Uh, and you don't find anything of this, that sort here. But what you do find are... Uh, what look like speaker speaker systems recording outwards, which doesn't surprise you overly because the dog can clearly hear verbal mm. commands. But it's essentially recording equipment. So, like, the, the it's, dog... It's spyware. The dog could hear things that were happening around it. Yes. Yes. And presumably kept those to either... Because uh, it had no method of wirelessly transmitting it mm. to a Ravetti. It presumably kept them, I mean... As, if some of it, with as one far of her, as you and John are aware, no golems have come in and like taken the um, <laughs> taken the SD card out of it and then replaced it. But they could have, in theory. It was a it was a future. It was a thing that was available to him if he had the opportunity to yeah, acquire yeah. it. And effectively, Erevidi is the sort of man who took advantage of who who respected what John did with the Eye of Abaddon enough to give him a clockwork device to ease his difficulties but was also the sort of man who put a plan B in it to have some spyware in it to record useful things from Caitlin, probably more relevant if John had remained on your council. Yeah. Um, and is also the sort of man who would have them self-destruct in the event of Erevetti's death, because they no longer serve a purpose, but not shut Arrow down, because Arrow is still serving a purpose. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
take that for what it's worth. Erebini is kind of a bastard, but not that much of a bastard, so which probably doesn't change your opinion of me much. No, I, I I probably should have thought of spyware inside the dog, which I did not, but it doesn't sound like you've got a lot of benefit out of it, so. But, um, Kaelin will clean up the bits and, um, give Joel a brief synopsis of what happened. And Joel sort of, ah. I certainly didn't see it coming, but I can hardly say I'm surprised. It. He was what he was. But it would seem he intended Arrow to keep on functioning after him, so it would seem that his appreciation of your sacrifice was genuine as far as it went. It, I think it would probably have occurred more to a mortal, that someone who still perceived emotions more directly, that using that opportunity was perhaps a bit underhanded. I've come to rather enjoy Arrow. I, I'm glad that it doesn't seem that there'll be any purpose in getting rid of him. No, I think you can keep him. Erevithi was a clockwork king is a complicated man. I, I've um, wanted, just today alone, I've wanted to murder him with a glad heart and been extremely sorry for his death all at the same time. I'll keep him. I'll keep him here and keep him safe. Uh, if I may, I'll request a contingent of. I'll, I'll request a small contingent of guardsmen, just in case there's any trouble. Several people here have lost people to Pytax's armies. Aye, that's a wise precaution. I'll um, talk to the boys outside and have them sit down. Some men. I will um, pat him gently on the shoulder. Aristotle's blessing go with you, Caelan. May he always guide your arrows. You've kept Stagpole safe through everything that's come thus far. It seems that there's more coming, but it's for a problem for another day. Thank you, John. That is the thing about being a community. No matter how no matter how prosperous the harvest, there is always going to be the next winter. Aye, very true. But it's always good to see you. Old friend, thank you for your help. And you, Kayla. That's really hard to do. <laughs> it's awesome, though. Yeah. Yeah. I, I cannot see how Meredith played an entire campaign as a blind character with her eyes shut. I've never tried it myself, but... Um... Uh, she wore a sleeping mask over her eyes so she couldn't see anything and had a dice app that verbally announced her results. That's awesome. Like, she'd take it off when she wasn't in character. Yeah. But it, it used to just produce the bizarre results because she'd talk over the top of people because she couldn't see the social cues. And the GM would gesticulate at her and the character wouldn't respond. Yeah. Because <laughs> she couldn't see it. Then it's like, can't, can't, can't you see that this NPC is getting angry with you because I folded my arms and I'm looking, glaring at you like this? She said, no, I can't see it at all. That's <laughs> uh, fun. It's, that's definitely, it sounds like a sheet of paper material. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, and then Kaelin, um, Erebiti's body disposed of. Kaelin's gonna, wants to go up and meet with his friends. Yep. And, um, basically let everybody read the letter. 
he thinks um, that's the best way to convey uh, let let his uh, he'll let you're, the pa- you're passing around your inner council basically yeah my, I'm passing around my inner council yeah. I'm not going to let the pub make that letter public knowledge or put it out to the wider council but I'm going to um, let my inner council know and I figured this is I obviously want to pass on Bryn's me- Arvedi's message yep. to Bryn. I figured yep. this is the easiest way. Yeah, I figured Svetlana is probably hereditary, but I want her company anyway. Um. Bryn reads it and she sort of makes a low rumbling. under her breath that you recognise to be her sort of deep in thought at this and she says sorry for what this cost you I'm sorry for what this cost you ah it's alright love all things considered I don't think it was a bad way to I don't think it was a bad way for him to go and whatever damage he did me will heal and um Kaelin's not talking about the physical damage yeah. there yeah. it's um the last couple of assassination attempts are definitely taking a lot out of him but he's indicating that it's not that it's not permanent Michaela reads this over our enemy is dead and a very honourable man from many perspectives is dead Are we intending to follow his wishes? It could be a last trap. I wouldn't put it beyond him. No, I don't think it's so. I believe Cassiopeia, not intentionally anyhow, I believe Cassiopeia and presumably Catalfractus are genuinely buried in a weeping wood, and I believe that Ereveti wanted to be buried there as well. Yeah, I mean, his, his very clear message is intended to be from the GM, yo, this would be full of monsters. Yes, I, I think it's a very dangerous place, but I suspect that he um, felt that I'd be equal to it. I mean, as a man um, who's faced many challenges and had who, who had presumably managed to kill him, it's certainly fair enough to... I think it's certainly fair... Uh, I don't think it'd be ego on his part to say if I could take him, I could take the wood. In any case, I'm not um, proposing to go in and try and conquer every beastie that lives there. But I do think it's dangerous, and I'm not entirely certain he'd be heartbroken if it did result in killing me. But I suspect now that he's dead, he wouldn't want me to be. I think his plan called for one of us to survive this. He may not have given me a lot of help but um, in this letter, but I suspect... I'm now his last hope for preserving the River Kingdoms from whatever it was that he saw coming, whatever he was trying to prepare for. Of course, it would be helpful if he had given me any idea what that was. Unfortunately, I can sympathise with him. If we broke down our tactical plans, then anyone might simply pull away the letter from our pockets. I really think he could have had the good grace to realise after the number of times he's outsmarted me that me outsmarting him wasn't that likely a possibility. But that may be the gas trap talking. <laughs> I'm surprised he didn't trap the letter. I'm surprised he didn't fire trap the letter. We thought of that. <laughs> Actually, we did open it in the field that suppressed magic. Michaela just sort of... Well, 
it was obnoxiously worthy for. <laughs> I will, at this point, relay the story about Arrow. Yeah. And Tristan says, are we sure that it was there? For it? it could have served a, a, a noble purpose. Perhaps he simply wanted some assessment of what had happened if anything happened to you. Nay, lad, I think... Nay, Tristram, I think giving the dog to Jod served a noble purpose. I think putting listening and equipment in it, he did for exactly the reason, and I think he did. I think it's... But I think it's characteristic of him that he may genuinely not have realised that the one, to an extent, cancelled out the other. I think from his perspective, they were both laudable goals and there was no real moral distinction between them. He just couldn't see that the one is noble and the other is underhanded and um, morally dubious, and that you shouldn't be morally dubious while you're being trying to be noble. I think that's. I think the truest part of this. I think this is. I, I don't think he told any lies here. I think he was trying quite hard not to. And I think the truest part of this letter is where he says that he isn't capable of feeling regret. And Bryn has been um, not actually silent through this, but she is just sitting in the background, not saying anything, and just sort of making that soft under her breath. And as you say this, she... I will go with you when you go to this weeping grove. I figured on taking you, love. You'd be a lot of help. You know a lot odd about the wild, and it's a very wild place for all accounts, and... I believe it's where your mother lies, and I figured you'd want to see it. I didn't know her. And my father was Father Bravia, the man who raised me. And the, and the pack. And the important part of this is that our enemy is dead. But it will not harm the pack to say goodbye to him. So, as Bryn says this, um, yeah. yeah, there's no harm in saying goodbye. He was a complicated man. He didn't do much of a job of being a father to you, and your father was Father Bravia, but he was a very impressive man in his own way. And it's all right to have mixed feelings about him. I'm mad at him for trying to kill me again and nearly succeeding again and outthinking me with the same trap again. But he went out like a man, and I'm not happy he's dead. Despite the fact that it makes me a gr- me and the kingdom a great deal safer. Okay, will reach out and put his hand on Bryn's. She will squeeze yours tightly. We kill because we need to. Because there is hunger or threat or some other need. It is different in the kingdoms. But here it was simple. He came for you on a dragon to kill you. You killed him. Aye, and I... It to happen. And I don't regret it. But I am sorry that... He couldn't have found another way. As are we all. This is Tristan. 
I know you've done everything you could here, Caitlin. I feel pretty sure of that now, and that's of great comfort to me. But I guess I regret I never... I, I guess I never got to, to meet Kostruso or Aviti when he was alive, because what was left of him was pretty impressive, and I think the man himself must have been something. And by all accounts, Cassiopeia was something special too, which doesn't surprise me, and Caitlin will smile at Bryn. The likeliest outcome, says Michaela, is that it's very possible he was dead before anyone in this, anyone but one of us in this room was born. I, I think he didn't survive. I think he didn't survive, and he said himself that no man would want to live on that way. Because Bryn is the oldest one here, and obviously she was born. She was born before her he died. Yeah. Um. Oh. He said that to me, to tell you, love, the same thing he said in the letter, that he remembered loving you. It's it's not much, but it's what he had. She just scrapes the table with her nails very slightly. So, that's what it is. We need to think at least a little of affairs of state, but only a little. Um... And Svetlana and I are pretty tired. I think, um, I will ask the rest of you to let the council know privately today, and tomorrow we'll think on how to announce this publicly. I think we should take his body home soon, and I want to take it to Pytax first so his people can see him. But we'll need to let Rasley know we're coming in. But we can discuss all that tomorrow. For today, I think... He'll, he can rest at the temple and it won't do anyone any harm. And Michaela will reach out and put a hand on Bryn's shoulder and Bryn instinctively kind of flinches, not not scared, but flinches aggressively towards it and then stares at it. <laughs> yeah. And Michaela leaves her hand sitting there for just a moment and gives it a lightest squeeze. And she says, Tristan and I can take care of informing the council. If that's if that's all right with you. Uh, fine, says Bryn, and sits awkwardly, and and Kalen sits there and thinks about it. And you know, a- absent of them being sort of in battle in that kind of context, it's the first time you've ever seen Michaela actually touch them. <laughs> They're not like big huggers. Yeah, yeah. Neither of them are really huggy people. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Alright, I just wanted to let you all know, and um, Caleb will clap Svetlana on the shoulder, thank you for everything you did today, lass, you've done a hero's work, thinking maybe you might want to get home to Van and get some rest, and um, love, do you want to come out in the woods with me for a bit? I think it's time to be quiet and not talk to people. Sounds good, Svetlana nods. I believe I will take some comfort in my husband too. Mm-hmm. Smiles at her. Mm-hmm. Tristan, of course, will give her a big hug. Mm. And you. And then head upon his way. And, um, yes, so Caitlin and Bryn will go out in the woods and just spend some time camping out in the woods, yep. being quiet. Yep. 
we might hide something or we might just find a brook and look in it and um, sit with each other for a while. Yeah. We'll have some quiet time and give her time to um She just sort of sits, sits with you and nuzzles into your neck. Process things. She's she's not uh, what you would call a terribly introspective person, but this is doubtlessly the most introspective you've ever seen it. Yeah. And then um, eventually, um, Caelan will go back to the castle and go to bed. If, um, no, actually, I think Caelan will go where Bryn wants to go, which whether that's back to the castle or up to the woods, or camp out on the woods. I think on the whole, she will stay out here. Cool. And she's, she's very happy for you to stay out here with her. Cool, sounds good. Then we'll do that. And just spend the night in the woods. And then um, in the morning, I think, head back to the castle and see the kids and then um, convene the council and have a talk to them about what we do next. So I'm basically just going to state that... Um, the party or the kingdom is funding gentle repose, enough gentle repose scrolls to take um, Castrucia or Vetti's body through any adventures that we need. I'm happy to check some money off the party for that. You probably don't need to. Like, Jod can cast it repeatedly. Yeah. Um, as can Michaela, for that matter, both of them for several days at a time. Sweet. Oh, yeah, it lasts for multiple days? I'm pretty confident gentle repose is a day per level. Right. Okay, so that's a pretty decent um, interval then. So, I mean, Jod would fairly easily give you... Uh, let me just have a double check of that, but I don't think it's a major. Uh, the soothing sounds of a boy restfully sleeping. Yeah, one day per level. Alright, sweet. So, at, at this point, that's no obstacle to you at all. John will cast it regularly, and before you go, Michaela will cast it, at which point it will last you over a week, which will be amply enough time to get where you're going. Absolutely. Cool. Alright, so, um, Kellen will sit down with the council. Uh, so, Kastrusuravetti is dead. Your council list, mine is out of date. Sure, again. Things happen. Mm-hmm. There are several long, slow nods around the table. And Cora Silverfly says, Then the war is. Then at last. We have an end to the. We have a final end to the war and a peace. I and um, Kaelin will tap a certain medallion lightly. Yeah. It um. It should certainly make our kingdom safer. Um, at least for the time being. And as um as a chorus says this, you feel, and you tap that medallion, you feel through it a, a vague, gentle stretching out towards you, feeling. Um, essentially um, Titania is still pretty uh, she is not asleep per se but she is still heavily resting but it's effectively I would like to talk to you briefly at some point cool. with no compelling urgency she's she's doing the equivalent of sending you a letter saying hey can we get yep. to talk at some point sweet so I will um, go see her after this then so he asked me he sent me 
a final letter. He had on him a final letter for me, and in it he asks for me him to be buried in the weeping wood, in um, the forest of a thousand voices, which is apparently where um, Cassiopeia is buried. Nothing good in there, from what I hear," says Chief Scales. No, I, I'm, I'm inclined to take our f- local phase word for it that it's not a nice place. And um, I believe it is where Cassiopeia met her end, so certainly not a safe place. I, um, we probably need to explore it at some point as it now lies on our lands, but it's the sort of thing we might need to do quite cautiously. But for right now, I just want to get into that part of it and then bury Rivetti and then get back out. And... Before I do, uh, before Bryn and I do that, um, I want to take him home to Pytax and let the people of Pytax conduct some manner of funeral or memorial ceremony for him. I have one thing that's a fine idea, says Christopher Rossi. It would reassure our ally, Queen Rastaline, that the job has been done, that Iravetti will not be coming back again. It will show the people of Pytax the same, and it will buy them whatever peace there is to be bought. Many of them, I think, he wasn't an easy man to love, but many of them respected and valued him very greatly, and he cared about them as much as he cared about anything, so I don't think they were wrong to. It's, um... I think it's the, um, best we can do. So, um, I would like some formal announcements and I will glance in the general direction of Switlana and um, uh, announcing that he is dead and that he was slain in an attempt to kill me and that um, and a request for Rasseline to um, bring his body to Pytax for a temporary ceremony after which I will be arranging his burial in the place that he requested me. I don't think she would be most in favour of that. I will make arrangements for you to stay in Pytaxia for a few days while there is a funeral of sorts. I want to keep an eye on... I, I want to stay with his body, even if it's not... I'm probably not very popular in Pytaxia right now, and I doubt this will exactly help that. But, but I expect uh, the reaction to be very positive from the rest of the River Kingdoms. Uh, Clockwork Thorn on their side has been plucked out. I think... Me. <laughs> I think we can all rest safer given that he was coming after us and coming after me in the long run we may find that there was more to what he was trying to do here than his attempt to personally kill me and take over the kingdom but it's hard to look past that from the point of view of the man who was nearly blown up by multiple golems so that's my that's what I'm going to do next with um, the rest of the month Going forward, um, we still have a lot to do investigating what's now our land north of Pytaxia, uh, settling it and, um, build- and building the kingdom, tidying things up and taking advantage of our time of peace. But I think that, at least for the moment, things should be a bit quieter. I've been having a word with a few of our new locals, says the old Beldame. Uh, some of the people of Littleton who are amenable to keeping their ears open in exchange for cold hard coin 
and some of the fae in the woods and some of the farm folk in the lands of Pytaxia they as as we well know now they had very little trouble with the likes of monsters or brigands the clockwork king kept that well under control any arrangements he's made however I imagine will die with the announcement of his death uh, people tell me that as far as they're aware, Minos of Shard, the mother of wyverns, the eater of kings, is still out there somewhere. She'll need to be taken care of, or at least convinced to make a new deal, make a new arrangement with us, or take her there, or take her there elsewhere. I'd be happy to talk rather than fight her, um, and if he paid her tribute and it's nothing too excessive, it may be somewhere we can follow in his footsteps, but... If she um, wants no part of negotiating, then um, I'll be happy to fight her if I need to. It's a map, not to this. There's a dangerous monster in our borders, and our borders have just expanded. Over, and our borders have just expanded to include more dangerous monsters. We should take care of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I haven't had a lot of Samantha on the council. Uh, it's fun. She's like, because killing giant monsters is actually my job as the woman. Yeah, <laughs> sort of. <laughs> It'll take time to, um, what's no- north of Pytaxia is, um, relatively well secured. There's not, as, um, the old Beldang says, there's not too many large monsters wandering around there that haven't had some kind of deal or arrangement made. But it's not very, it's not accustomed to much in the way of civilization. No, um, the peoples there are largely fending for themselves. Yeah. In the case of Littleton, they want to keep doing that, and we've agreed that they can. We'll leave them their space, but I think there's probably plenty of farmers who would be happy to um, have a bit more of a secure wall as we start expanding southwards, and um, at least at least one giant woolly mammoth would be a great asset to the kingdom, and uh, the local fay will hopefully be happy to join up a kingdom that values them. Hillstomper for royal enforcer. The one thing you don't have on your wacky council is an awakened animal. That's true, but I think he's looking after his graveyard. This this table's a little small. Yeah, I, I think there's certain practical aspects that make Hill Stomper impractical, but I certainly want a giant mammoth as a citizen of my kingdom. Um, I'm going to make, like, the citizenship provision is going to, like, say... You know, Fey are citizens, kobolds are citizens, centers are citizens, and that one woolly mammoth. So, now that you um, have actually overtaken the lands of Pytaxia, you get a side quest, which might well be the first one in this adventure. Ah, uh, yeah. Because um, I think several of them have been... Um... Let me find my dusty side quest sheet. Yeah, yeah, no, this is the first side quest you have had in this adventure. It's not very hard. You don't need to write it down. Okay. Um, which is... Uh, Minognus of Shard, the Eater of Kings. Minos of Shard, the Eater of Kings, the queen, the mother of all wyverns. Um, if someone were to slay this ancient wyvern matriarch, the legend would do much for that ruler's kingdom. Um, I.e., basically... At this point, what the Old Bell Dame is telling you is that you were getting a side quest miscellaneously from your own kingdom. That the people would sort of like this Eater of Kings business sorted out one way or the other, whether that's killing her, driving her off, or establishing a peace of some kind. Um, 
and your prize for that will be kingdom based. As no, no one will pay you to do it because it's literally your problem. Yeah, yeah, but no, that sounds awesome. Because she's almost certainly likely to be living in the wilderness as opposed to in Pytaxia. Yeah, yeah, that makes good sense. And indeed, um, people will, the council will sit down with you at this point and actually recap, you know, what needs doing around the lands of Pytaxia or what do we need to be worried about and that sort of thing. Yep, sounds good. Let me um, find my Pytaxia map. Wandered off. Um, can I have my kingdom sheet back? Uh, yes. Or at least can I temporarily borrow it? No, that's, that's fine. As long as you're not talking to the council. Yeah, I think um, that was pretty much the council business I wanted to enact. Yeah. We're sort of generically talking, but uh, here we are. Pytaxia, Glenvorn Uplands. Yes, here we are. This is the one that's got the map of Pytaxia on Do you want to look at it, or...? I don't need to, massively. Um... The uh, you are welcome to take the river raises off it if you like, or you can leave them there. Whatever works better for you. No, no, it's um, it's kind of the it's the things I encountered when I explored map. Yeah. I don't tend to rub things off it. Yeah, the things that you have um, uh, not sort of looked at thus far in some fashion in in the Glenborn Uplands are um, there's. The mother of all wyverns lair, um, wherever that lies. Yeah. Presumably in the wilderness somewhere. There's the Weeping Grove that you're heading to. Um, there's Hemlock Island, which you may or may not actually need to explore in any way. That's the um, equivalent to Candlemere. Yeah. Um, presumably Erebeti has taken care of it in some fashion because there aren't, um, you know, Cthulhu abominations climbing up through his kingdom routinely. Yeah. Um, but it's a thing you could go and look at if you wanted to, but you actually probably don't desperately need to. Uh, Littleton, which um, I think you've by and large decided you're going to just leave to their own devices. Yeah, I'm probably actually not going to over... I probably will explore the hex just so I know what's there. Yeah. But um, I explicitly have a treaty with them that I'm going to leave them to their own devices, so it's going to remain an unclaimed hex. Yeah. And the castle of knives, which might or might not be there, might might not be there at any given time. And I'm actually, if they want a neighbouring like farm or fishery or something to help support yeah. them, I'm happy. Like I destroyed a farm and fishery that neighboured them. But I'm happy to sort of let them rebuild that and leave that for them if that's they, a... they weren't using it. Cool. That was Pytaxia's farm. Yeah. Because they had a very clear idea on exactly how far they could extend their line before Erevedi came down on them like a hammer. Yeah. Because uh, Erevedi, unsurprisingly, had very clear rules. Like, he seemed perfectly happy to just let this rebel community more or less grow within the edge of his kingdom. Yeah. But, I mean, given the sort of man he was, he probably had a very clear idea, like, if you raid this farm, I will bury you. Yeah, that's not metaphorical. <laughs> yep, um, yep, so I've got Littleton, I will explore it so I know what's there, and then yep. I'm going to leave it alone. And the, the only thing you have any external motivations to do, that, that you're being asked to do, is um, solve Minister Shard in some fashion, uh, and... You have been asked to go to the Weeping Grove by Erefini, but by no one else. Yeah. And I have a pretty good idea where the Weeping Grove is, apparently, looking yes. at this map. It's um, B9. Yeah, you found it on one of Erefini's maps, marked as a, you know, this area is off limits to everyone. And it's got, uh, it's marked as having Califax's grave in there. Yes. 
So that's... Um, yeah, you, you in fact already knew that was there. The only thing you didn't know was that Cassiopeia was buried there as well. Yeah. Yeah, there's a few areas that he's marked off-limits um, for your safety by order of the kingdom or both. Yeah. And that, I think, was the Clockwork Cave, the Aslanti Ruin there, the um, Hemlock Island and the Weeping Grove. Yeah. All right, so um, Svetlana and I had done a bunch of um, exploring. Yeah. Um, and it was actually pretty late in Rover. Yep. So it's the 24th of Rover. Yep. Um, but I would probably like to just push on and do some adventuring and have this effectively being Lamashan's adventuring. By all means. And then I will um, come home and do a kingdom turn and sort of later Lamashan. Yeah, yeah. No, no problem with that whatsoever. Yeah, but basically, yeah, basically, as Catelyn talks it over with his people, the goal is basically to explore the rest of these unexplored places. Yep. And then resolve outstanding problems like um, like the Mother of Wyverns. Yep. And um, then begin slowly expanding our kingdom to um, take advantage of this new land, but it's... Um, going to be a bit of a gradual process because we already have a lot of unexplored land yep. and we've, um, frankly the closest border that we have to this land is in um, what you in Fort Drayleaf's area, the Fort Drayleaf area yeah. and we tended to not expand very fast downwards because um, there was a certain amount of um, farms getting burned out and stuff Oh and that's the um, I think there's one more, the other thing you've got to do is the tripartic stone Ah yes of course right. Yep, so... Um, Which is, I guess, more of an internal motivation than an external one. Yeah, so I'm going to declare that I'm carrying Blight with me, and um, but I'm not wielding it like a wheel gatekeeper. I'm just kind of keeping it in my pack. I'll put it down on my list of items. Yep. And I absolutely want to do the tripartic stone, but that's definitely... A t- everything but burying it already is kind of a later problem. Yeah, how to argue with so you've done the Kingdom Turn of Rover, have you? Yes, I have done the Kingdom Turn of Rover. I'll just update my thing and I'll put killed Erevedi on what you did in Rover. Yep. Cool beans. Yeah, that's right, because we had a really big storm, so we, yes. uh, we didn't really start adventuring until that calmed down, I yes. think. And then we had Mystery Hills, which was about the point that someone started scrying on us. Yeah. And um, then we had a dragon ambush. All good. So, yes. So, um, what I think I'd like to do now is basically... Um, Caelan will spend another day at home to let kind of... Um, give himself a little chance to recover and let couriers go out and stuff. Yeah. And then um, the next day, which will be the 26th... Yeah. Um, He's going to um, set out with Bryn. Yeah. So basically our plan here is probably to... Um, our, one of our traditional routes for getting into Pytax is to go to Mervon and take a boat down. Yeah. And that seems like a pretty good method to use here. So we'll take a boat down from Mervon into more Mervon. Yeah. Uh, I think we take a boat down the Mervon River through Mervon, cross our land, and then head down to Pytax here and back into Mervon. Unless they've put a nice road down to greater move on, down to additional move on. No, they are in fact in the process of building one. It's not all the way there yet, but you basically get on your horses, ride part way. Cool, and that then, works. Um, and then 
ride the rest of the way on the road. Yeah, well, that sounds like a plan because that's pretty unexplored country um, from our route. So we'll take, we'll travel through, move on to Pytaxia. Yep. With the Ravetti's body. No problem. But before we do that, um, uh, and word will reach you about what you're expecting, which Rasseline says by all means. Yeah. Uh, is, um, Alk's Rest, so, um, I'm gonna cross off spending the day in Alk's Rest and, um, then a couple of days for travel. Um, but before we do that, um, you mentioned that the Ravetti had a huge pile of treasure. Yes, yes, I did. I don't want to sort that yet because that seems like a later problem, but I figured it would be worth writing it down. And then I'll probably, um, do a big treasure sort when I get back from this trip. Sure, and people um, now just have the capacity to ID it for you, so... Oh, well, that's... Because nice. Michaela just spends several days... Um, to be honest, a, a casting of Reed Magic will solve a great deal of it, because what he's got is a big, big-ass pile of scrolls. Makes sense. All right, so... Okay, so you want to know about the Rebetti's collection? Yes. Okay, uh... Shockingly, he has a handy sack. Cool. Um, he has Blight, which you already have. Yep. I figure um, I'm not going to put that in the treasure division list. I'm just... Kalen's just going to flat out take that. Um, he has two Masterwork Heavy Repeating Crossbows. Mm-hmm. You want them. Sure. And his Lance, which you now get a chance to actually look at and pick up and... Kaylin can work this out with a combination of the identifiers and the knowledge engineering and going, right, it's it's got like switches and bits here you can pull and it makes noises. Uh, so it is a plus one Feybane reconfiguring plant. Is worth twelve thousand GP. Okay. So as a um, it, it's magic, it's Feybane. That's yep. what you would expect. And as a reconfiguring weapon, um, you can reconfigure it to any two-handed weapon as a standard action or as a free action. Sorry, as a move action or as a free action with quick draw. So, literally, you pull levers and that, that transforms into a great axe. Wow. You know, so, what, what was the action with that, with the standard action? Uh, move or free. Move or free. Because you've got, you've got quick draw, haven't yeah. you? Yeah. So, it's going to be a free action. Wow. Because, effectively, instead of pulling out another weapon, what you do is go, right, I pull this bit and turn this lever, and that sets the setting from lance to great axe. Yeah. The limitations on it is it has to be a two-handed weapon. The thing yeah. can't get smaller or bigger or what have you. Yeah. Uh, and its basic nature does not change. Like yeah. It changes from a piercing weapon to a slashing weapon, but there's no way for you to make it adamantine or anything like that. Yeah. So it's a plus one Feybane. Yes, its default settings are plus one and Feybane. Yeah. And it... It's only a lance by virtue of the fact that's what Ravetti was using it as. You yeah. could just as easily have it as a great axe or anything else. Yeah, but I I feel like I don't have a um I, I just have a masterwork lance. 
I feel like I could use this last. And like, this is complicated to master. You've got to sit down and really play with it to work out how to transform it and change the settings between lance and great axe and double handed flail and this sort of thing. On the other hand, it's well within Kaelin's wheelhouse. Mm. Cool. So, those are his weapons. Yeah. Um, his armor, there doesn't seem to be any way of getting off him. I don't want to take his armor off yeah, him. Yeah. I appreciate that it may have magical properties, but I want to bury him yeah, with un- it. Unsurprisingly, it does indeed have magical properties, um, and is also very clearly made of some sort of, uh, not mithril in and of itself, but incredibly light clockwork material that is like that sort of thing. Um, but you literally, you look at it, and the choice is kind of taken out of your hands. Um, you actually don't think you could possess this, even if you were prepared to kind of liquefy Eravetti to get him out of it. Yeah. It's it's not just armor. Yeah. And I don't know how much Caleb would poke at this, actually. No, I don't think, um, I'm not trying to get him out of the armor, and I don't really, at which point I really don't need to know his magical, yeah. its magical property. Uh, Michaela, on the other hand, absolutely would, unless somebody expressly forbids her from doing so. Like, she wants to know how much of him's a man versus a clockwork creature. I don't mind if she examines him carefully, yeah, as long as she doesn't do any damage. She's not going to take him to pieces, but essentially the armor is built into him. It fuses yeah. with his body at several points and actively replaces bits of it at several points. Alright, so um, what Kaelin is going to do, yep. and I'm not necessarily going to bother doing the stats for this because I'm not doing the treasure division yet, That's fine. but effectively, Kaelin is going to remove his masterwork lance yep. and give it to Uravetti. Makes sense. And in exchange, and he's going to bury Uravetti with that Makes and take his Fatebane lance in exchange. Makes sense. Because, you know, then I'm effectively burying him with armor and weapons, which seems appropriate. And insofar as you can tell, um, you can you you should be able to enchant that like it's any other plus two weapon. So if you are so inclined, and then there's extra cost that it costs because of its reconfiguring nature. Because that means, um, in addition to my adamantine greatsword and gatekeeper, um, and my magic distance bow that I took from the um, yeah. Thing and the um, flail that uh, took from the stag lord and the flail that the centaurs gave me for killing Vordekai, I'll have um, uh, Erevedi's repeating cross. Uh, I'll have Erevedi's lance. Yep. So yeah, it is. It is making a statement, and that statement is I'm the man who killed the Clockwork King. Yep. Because I, I I'm going to be proud of that. Okay. Uh, so where to start with this magic item list? Um. So I will say bits of the armor come off in that they're not so much parts of the armor so much as magic items that he's sort of um, installed into the armor effectively. Okay, cool. If they're like rings and things. Uh, among other things, like the the glass lens pieces, uh, he has them in the armor and then behind them he has other glass pieces installed that is a separate magic item that he's put in there as his eye slot. All right, yeah. So okay. you, can, you can fairly easily extract them... Like, Caelan goes, okay, there's nothing more involved in this than just unclipping bits or using a screwdriver kind of thing. Sweet, okay, in that case, that's kind of, it's slightly more involved body looting process, but we do loot bodies. Yeah, if you were doing this at speed, it would matter. As it is, it's irrelevant. Uh, How would you like your list? Do you want to start with his million scrolls? Do you even want to know what his million scrolls are, or do you just want me to give you a giant total? 
He's got a, a big pile of scrolls and a big pile of magic items. Why don't you give me the big pile of magic items, then the big pile of scrolls? Okay, so he's got the haversack. He's got his various weapons. You can't have his armor. Uh, he has a bead of force, which is worth 3,000 gold. And uh, is the thing that you have seen Javon use. It uh, yep. casts Resilient Spear on you, so you go into your own temporary bubble where you can't be hurt and you can't hurt people. Right, yep. Um, he has a magical belt on that is a belt of dwarven kind. He has... So the belt of dwarven kind basically gives you several of the racial abilities of a dwarf. You gain dark vision, stone cunning, uh, bonus to constitution, bonus against saves, etc., etc. It sounds pretty awesome. And it allows you to speak dwarven. Yeah. Um, it, I'm not certain something Caitlin's deeply invested in as someone who already has dark vision and the um, and the dwarven thing naturally, but I wonder if it's something someone would be interested in. Um, so, he has uh, boots of striding and springing. Those are awesome. A brooch of shielding, which is worth 1,500 gold and deflects magic missiles. And I think is a slot beside him. Yeah, I think so too. That's kind of cool. He is wearing a pair of magical gauntlets that are linked to each other. Okay. Um, one of them you creates the spell Rusting Grasp. Okay. Which uh, rusts things. Yep. Fundamentally, but only non-magical things. Yep. Yep. And the other one of which blasts a ray of cold out of it. Combined, they are worth 1600 G50. Cool. And they appear to need to be a combined item. You can't yeah. wear one because it needs the power from the twin. Yeah. Uh, he has a cloak of resistance plus three, which is what he was wearing. Yep. I imagine someone would like that. I personally am already wearing one. Then, being Irovetti, yep. he has another cloak, which he wasn't wearing. Yeah. A cloak of etherealness. Oh, that sounds cool. I don't know how much that's worth off the top of my head. That's, that, that's alright. Um, I'll write down any ones you know, but um, we can get the things later when we're... He has a pair of dimensional shackles, which you use to um, chain people up so that they can't escape by teleporting or plane shifting or what have you. Interesting. Uh, he has a necklace of adaption, which means that you do not need to breathe. And you are immune to like stinking clouds and several other things. Right. Like, yeah. You can breathe underwater, etc., etc. Uh, yeah. That's what he was wearing. Yeah. Um, he has an immovable rod because they're always useful. Yeah. I already have one, but they are cool. He has a ring of sustenance and a ring of feather falling on. Ah, uh, yeah. Meaning that he doesn't need to eat. He doesn't need to eat or breathe. Yeah. Yeah, correct. He does not need to eat or breathe. So he's just got this set, like, he would presumably have these physical needs, therefore. And he's just got it set up so he can do it in the most efficient possible method. Yes. Yes, yes he does. 
He had a ring of invasion, but he gave it to Philip Walcott and replaced it with his ring of Featherfall. That's, um, that's horrifying. What's but that? very encouraging. But he doesn't need to breathe or eat. Yes. Yes, these, these aren't just inconvenient mortal requirements. They really are. Although I suppose the thing is, if you have to take your damn faceplate off, it's not something you're enthusiastic about. Uh, I mean, it wasn't stunningly harder than opening your own helm in full play. I suspect there's a reason he never seems to remove it. Yeah. Maybe he doesn't like looking at himself. That would be my money, yeah. Um, Nicholas of Daction, a movable rod. Uh, I think it's easier for him to pretend he is just a clockwork man and there's nothing really inside the armour. He has uh, another amulet, which... He is not wearing, but he's keeping on him. Um, this one appearing to be just plain black stone, but as you look into the stone, you can see dark, swirling, moving colours, and the longer you stare into it, the more shapes and places you swear you can see. It is an amulet of the plains, Ooh. and it is worth 120,000 gold pieces. Wow. And what it allows you to do is plane shift at will, but if you don't make the intelligence check, you don't necessarily end up on the plane you were aiming to get to. Okay. That might not be an item I want to have. But it is impressive. Um, he has an elixir of vision, giving him plus 10 to search. That's worth 250 gold. That's cool. Three silver sheens worth 250 gold apiece. Hold on. What was the elixir worth? 250. 250. He's, he's got several of these useful um, yeah, yeah. elixir-y, potion-y things. And to be honest, you would assume that he would very likely have an elixir of swimming, but for the fact he doesn't need to breathe, so yeah. he presumably just walks across the bottom of the yeah. lake. Um, and then he has scrolls. Yep, I'm ready for the scrolls. Okay, uh... A line weapon, 150 gold. Scrolls. I'm going to write scroll every time. Yep. Remove paralysis, 150 gold. Yep. Lesser restoration, 150 gold. Yep. Speak with plants, 375 gold. Yep. Speak with animals, 25 gold. Twenty-five gold? Twenty-five gold. Wow, That's speak. The first with... little scroll. Alright, okay. <laughs> but you might want to speak to an animal at some point. Yeah. And he doesn't have Tristram. Yeah. Um, water walk, 375 gold. It's less that any of these things are incredibly valuable, and more just the fact that he has them. Yeah, yeah. Like he has a plan for everything. Yeah. Uh, two copies of Break Enchantment for a total of 700, uh, 700 apiece, sorry. Yep. That's an excellent one to have. He has several empty scrolls, which bear only the faintest of arcane markings indicating what they were. So he's used up several of these, and he has five remaining scrolls of repair critical wounds. 
So is that heal critical wounds, but for a golem? It appears to be some some version of healing for constructs. Cool. You have not heard of this spell before. It's presumably fairly esoteric. So how many has he got left? Five. Cool. And that's critical, so that's the fourth level one. And it does yeah. exactly what your critical wound does. Yeah, yeah. That's like, um, we might give those to first. I don't think they're tremendously useful, but he can sort of carry them around the same way a human would carry um, potions. Two sendings at 700 gold apiece. Commune at sixteen twenty five. Well, that's useful. Well, I guess more before people could. Um, mind you, can McCandler cast that? She's not that high a level cleric. Yeah, she may not be able to. No. Yeah. All right. So that is useful. Corwin could cast it. But... Uh, true seeing at thirteen seventy five. Ooh, Caleb want two seventy five. Thirteen seventy-five. That sounds like it. I didn't think that was cheap. It was cheap. I don't know already. Greater scrying at two thousand two hundred and seventy-five. Wow. And several empty copies of that. So, um, two thousand two hundred and seventy-five. Cool. He has one copy left of it, basically, and then several more, which you can see he has used, presumably greater scrying on you. Yeah. Three copies of Detect Secret Doors at 25 gold apiece. <laughs> well, that's useful. Yeah, he thought so. Michaela did great with that. At, um, what was that, 25 apiece? Yep. Cool. Three identifiers at 125 apiece. Yeah, those we might sell. We have Michaela for that. Yep. Uh, three disguised selves. <laughs> Worth 25 a pop. Yep. Three C invisibilities. Ooh! Worth, oh. uh, worth a uh, 150 a pop. Kaelin won't then. Kaelin, remember, Kaelin can't cast a scroll. Yeah, and they are, they are all scrolls. He has uh, no potions on him whatsoever yep. beyond the elixirs. Yep. And also, there doesn't seem to be a lot of thought given to um, other people in this list. Yeah. Like, he can clearly see in the dark, because he's got his belt of dwarven kind. But if he's got someone else with him, he has no method of making them see in the dark. But what are the odds he'd have someone else with him? He didn't, well, have, yeah, that's, that's kind of he didn't have adventuring buddies. Uh, one used, but two copies remaining of Arcane Sight at 375 which allows him to see all the spells and magical items that you're presently wearing. Uh, 275 each? 375. 375 each. Sure. Uh, two remaining copies of Fly, 375. Two Restorations at 800. Michaela's, it's going to be Michaela's birthday as the use magic device specialist. Two remaining invisibilities at 150 each. No remaining greater invisibilities. Yeah. Um, 
that's what he put on at yeah. the end, and then he had to get rid of it. That, that when he reappeared out of the anti magic field, yeah. it was on greater invisibility. Uh, one removed curse at seven hundred. Two teleports at eleven twenty-five. Uh, use the mislead. Use the anti-magic field. One melded the stone. Three seventy-five. And one scroll of permanency worth nine thousand gold. Permanency. What an interesting collection. Because. Um, he's then got a whole pile of scrolls that he could presumably permanence on himself if yeah. he so chose. Because mm. he can ca- he can obviously cast all of these spells up to and including fucking seventh level greatest crying, clearly mm. without blinking all that heavily. Mm. Uh, yes. To cast greatest crying, he needs to make a DC 33 use magic device check, which he takes 10 on and succeeds. Mm. Mm-hmm. Alright, I wrote that down. Yep, and that is his pile of gear. Okay. Like I say, it's it's, it's a dragon's hoard. Yeah, yeah, that's um that's some pretty good stuff that right there. Interestingly, the one thing that he isn't carrying is any particular money. Like yeah. he's got some on him, but it's literally just sort of a handful of silver pieces. Oh, presumably he won't play him out in the wilderness for very long, and it's not like he needs to buy food or no, whatever. I mean, he doesn't need to. He doesn't need to eat, or sleep much, or breathe. Yeah. So he himself has almost no needs. Yeah. And it's possible, you know, he kept his personal wealth elsewhere, which is now God knows where. Well, um, I picked up 440 yeah, GP, yeah. 4,400 GP worth of gold and jewels and things from his front room. Yeah. Presumably he was keeping some of it there, but he must have chosen not to take it with him, given that he left in, you know, presumably something of a hurry, but it was a day-long army battle. Yeah, yeah. I or, think he took everything that he personally wanted. Or he's got, like, a bag of gold buried in the woods somewhere, or... God help you on another plane of existence. <laughs> Either way, I think it's fairly safely gone from your your grasp. That's literally a page and a half of Treasure counting the throne room yes. stuff. I um I think it suffices. Yeah, I mean, the guy is wearing over a hundred and fifty thousand gold worth of magical items. Yeah, yeah. And his consumables budget is horrendous. <laughs> So what I'm actually going to do is change out for the Feybane Lance so that I've got the Feybane Lance, Feybane reconfigurable Lance in case, you know, that comes up as I go yep. into the wood full of hostile Fey. Makes a certain kind of sense. So um, I'm just going to switch that over now yep. and then I'll do it the treasure division when I do the proper treasure division and pay the party yep, for yep, that. No, no problem. So um, do you have an eraser of any kind? Uh... No, I don't think we actually have a role-playing bag of pencils set up yet. Uh, we've got a whole bunch of calculators. I think there might be, like, one eraser in it. Well, that seems like a good division of labour. Yep. Alright, so... Is there any indication that the lance had a name? It's a pretty epic weapon. 
Uh, none that is given on it. It would be um, kind of uncharacteristic. I'm going to call it Clockwork Lance. What a name. It's not no, poetic, but that's it's a Ravetti for you. Transformer. Mm, that does have a certain ring to it. Megatron. Because it's a weapon. No. Mm-hmm. No, the thing is, Irovetti was a great many things, but a poet was not one of them. Mm. If if he hadn't um, if he hadn't named Blight, oh, rather if Blight wasn't already a thing that he just kind of got the name for, because it is a plus one versus masterwork, that doesn't make any difference. Um, Makes um, a difference of one to damage, damage but not no, none to hit. Yep. Right, so that's more damage, certainly. Anything I um, endeavour to ride, any fake creature I endeavour to ride down on horseback is going to know it's been in one hell of a fight. Cool, so I am taking Transformer as my weapon, yep. and I am exchanging, so I will actually, um, in the Temple of the Elk, um, exchange the weapons and say, um, it's been a good lance, and, and it's worthy of a warrior, but I'll take this in your memory. I will take the I will take Transformer the reconfigurable lance. Yep. So before I head off, I'm going to talk to Titania because she was trying to contact me, which I totally remembered. Yep, that's that's fine, darling. It, uh, there's a lot on, but I would have done that um, after the council session, so I'm yeah, happy yeah. to do that. And the, if there's any other scenes you want to do now, the premises, there's no compelling hurry. Um, you also have. Um, Blight and Gatekeeper are going to start doing things as well. Yep. You want um, loot-related stuff. Yep, so um, that was the other... Yes, that's a, that's a good reminder. I'm going to put Blight on my um, equipment list. I'm not going to treasure divide it, but um, I am going to record that I have it. At least for the moment, I'm going to take it. If there's some indication that another member of the party... Um, is meant to wield that I'm prepared to, but these kind of things you sort of are supposed to defeat someone in battle for. Svetlana is the only one um, who's actually proficient. Oh, and Svetlana and Michaela are the only ones that are proficient with it. Yeah. Um, and, um... No, quite the opposite, actually. But that's a um, descriptor that you can have now or at another time. Let's have what happens with the swords and then I'll do the same with Titania. Okay, so you will notice this fairly rapidly. Um, It is your previous experience with Gatekeeper, just to give you some reminders here as a player because it's been a while. Um, You did a legend lore on it? Yes. And got three from one, one of threes from Great Sacrifice aboard the Keys. Um, then stuff about Gatekeeper specifically. Mab's blade slays that which should never have been, burns those from beyond and those unseen. Well, one is strong, two add to ten when driven by the heart of men. Together stronger than apart, they offer choice to mortal heart. Awesome. And when you take Blight um, and begin to put any sort of thought or focus into it at all, you realise that like Gatekeeper, the blade is calling to you. Um, when you took it, um, when you crossed swords with Gatekeeper and Blight, fighting yeah. Ravidi, you had a vision of him defeating some sort of plant monsters in Oberon's challenge. Yeah. And receiving Blight from it. Um, 
The other thing that you saw was when you pushed, the, when you two locked blades, they started melting into each other to some degree. Oh, right. Um, when you take both of them, you very quickly realize that whatever, whether you are wielding them or not, as long as you are holding both of them, um, let me clarify that. Uh, effectively, sheathed or in your hand, this effect remains. You need to be um, carrying both of them. Yeah. Um, and it works up to the point of if you're carrying them both, like if you put one down briefly, it continues to work. If you hand one to Svetlana, the effect immediately ends. Yeah. Um, but as long as you are carrying both blades, you derive these effects whether you are wielding them both at the same time or not. Yeah. Um, and most obviously, something shifts in Gatekeeper when you put blade on. And when you pull the blade out and look at it, the metal in it is clearly moving. Like Quicksilver, it is shifting and changing between streaks of hard silver metal. And then a very familiar black ore that you have seen. Uh, well, you have both of them on you. This is reasonably obvious straight off the bat without needing to identify it. Gatekeeper is both cold iron and adamantine. Ah, uh, yes, I actually have some notes about this. Yeah? I'm not sure um, if I got this from my legend lore. Possibly. Um, cold iron and adamantine. Uh, no, continue, please. I, um... Uh, have not written down those notes very well. I'll write them in bigger printing. That's fine. I can't remember what we concluded from this. Um, but Gatekeeper is um, is now a cold iron and an adamantine blade simultaneously. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, Blight is the exact same. Yeah. It's also a cold iron and an adamantine blade. Yeah. And again, put Gatekeeper down and Blight is a sword made of metal. Yeah. Um... Blight presumably does something, but you can't um, identify it. Um, as in, you, you'd have to actually sit down and identify the weapon. Yeah. Uh, shall we presume that you are going to do so? Yeah, I think so at that point, yes. Cool. So, um, a legend law will produce a different answer again, which you'll have to tell the GM you want. Yeah, yeah. You'll have to write it. Um, but... When you identify Gatekeeper on its own, it identifies as a plus two corrosive bastard sword, which is what it has always been. Yeah. When you identify it with Blight, because you give both Tristan, and... Oh, actually, no, you give them both to Tristan and he feels kind of sick. Yeah, yeah, I don't You know. give them both to Michaela. Yeah, yeah. And she IDs them both. Um... Once you have both of them, Gatekeeper is a plus two corrosive bastard sword that is cold iron and adamantine, and is aberration and chaotic outsider bane. Ah, uh, yep, that's what it's that's what it says here. Yep. Slays those which it should have never been, burns those from beyond and those unseen. Awesome. Um the those which should never have been are um reasonably obviously aberrations, yeah. weird mutant what's it, those from beyond uh, chaotic outsiders. Um, that's that's what all the Cthulhuid things yeah. are. Uh, and those unseen, you don't have. I don't have the context for yet. Context for. Um, but the weapon is not only stronger; it is radically stronger now. It's just jumped up two levels worth of abilities. Yeah. Um, where one is strong, two adds to ten. ten. Yeah. When driven by the heart of men. Yeah. Um, 
uh, and you can assess this, uh, Tristan cannot use these. They manifest no abilities when he wields them because yep. he is not a human being. He is yep. not a man. He is not yep. mortal. Um, Blight, on the other hand, is a plus two bastard sword. Um, and I'll do Michaela's identification here. She says, is for destroying the woodland. There is death to nature inside this blade. No doubt how it's got its name. Uh, it can cast the spell Blight at will. You poke things with the sword and you blight them. Ah, yep. Which does horrific amounts of damage to plant creatures. And Wh- which is plants and things. Which is pretty useful. Alright, so it is a plus two corrosive sword. No, Gatekeeper is a plus two corrosive sword. Uh, sorry. That's the extra d6 of acid is yeah, the corrosive yeah. effect. Right, yep. Uh, Blight is merely a plus two bastard sword. Plus two bastard sword. Um, can cast Blight. Can cast Blight at will at a castle level of 15. So that's effectively just like you do the spell. You just hold the yep. sword up and go, Blight, Blight, yep. Blight, and plant creatures die like flies. Yep. Um, secondly, while well, you have both of them, it also counts as Cold Iron and Adamantine. Awesome. Um kills the natural world and holds things before they, and holds things in place binding them before they can flee uh, if you hit somebody with it it casts dimensional anchor on them with a, wow. will, with a will save of 27 to negate this effect every time you hit it That's amazing. And that is what it does. Awesome. So, if I hypothetically um, had exotic weapon proficiency bastard sword, yeah. I could theoretically duel these, but I'd take all the usual two-handed penalties. Uh, you dual wield them, I think, at minus at four? Uh, uh, yes, you'd take horrific penalties, but then what you'd do if you um, were smart would be take two weapon fighting. Yeah, yeah. Assuming you were dexterous enough, which you may not be. Yeah, I don't think I meet the pre. I've got twelve dicks now, but I don't yes, think like that's enough. Or so. Yeah. Um, but yes, dual wielding bastard swords with two weapon fighting is a minus four penalty. Doing it without two weapon fighting is uh, horrendous. It's minus ten, minus six, or something in that neighbourhood. Yeah. So the answer here is because I can wield both of them. What I can do is bring out one and then bring out the other. You know, with my quick draw. But trying to fight both with both of them simultaneously would be a mugs game. But that's cool. Alright, I, I have noted these awesome abilities down. There's more. Cool, okay. And then, as, as you were sitting down with her, sort of going through this, and I imagine Tristan is sort of sitting in the background, talking yeah. to he's interested in the magical theory. You worked out, you know, when you put the two of them together, they sort of merge like vaguely yeah. quicksilver like, and their nature is changing. He says, their, their nature's changing by being near each other. It's metals at once. Cold iron and adamantine. Uh, what happens if you press them against each other again? Michaela picks one up, throws the other one to you, you lock swords. As you push hard against each other again, the blades start to merge very slightly. And Tristan says, and if one of you does it? Michaela turns the other one yeah. to you. 
Now you have one sword. Oh, wow. Now you have two swords. Wow. Now you have one sword. And Michaela sits down and identifies them again. Yeah. And produces entirely different results. Oh, wow. Um, I'm going to get a separate piece of... Can I have a... Oh, no, actually, I'll just grab a little bit of note... A little pad of notepaper. When you merge Gatekeeper and Blight together into one bastard sword, you can feel your will pushing at it as you do this. You are choosing which one is going to be more dominant, and they are two different results. So Gatekeeper plus Blight is a different thing from Blight plus Gatekeeper. Okay. Um... So when you merge them together, you lose the abilities of one of them entirely and gain a third ability. Okay. So Gatekeeper becomes a plus two corrosive bastard sword that's cold iron and adamantine and aberration and chaotic outsider bane. Yeah. And... Alright, so all Gatekeeper abilities. Yep. When you put them together, you can feel everything moving around you, the shimmering in the air. You are the watchful sentinel. You know everything that steps a foot within it. Even Bryn, even when you don't hear her, uh, I think... Tremorsense? No, it's not Tremorsense. It's um, the other one. Um, it gives you blind sense. Ooh! So it's possibly not quite as good as being able to see Bryn coming. Uh... But I can shut my eyes and and still fight? Yeah, let me find what um, Blind Sense does for you. Uh, blind Sense. Okay, you do not need to make spot or listen checks to notice anything within the range of your ability, which is 30 foot. Um, something walks towards you and you simply go, there's a person there. Yeah. They're invisible, I can't see them, but I know they're there. Wow. Um, they still have concealment from you because you still can't see them and you're still denied decks and that sort of thing. It's it's a lesser mm. version of blind sight. Mm. Uh, sorry, no, that's blind sense. What you were getting is blind sight, ah. which is the better version, okay. which is not quite as good as tremor sense. Yep. Okay, so this one. Um, invisibility is irrelevant to you. You can't see it, but you simply know it's there if it's within 30 foot of you. Wow. Um, darkness, likewise. Uh, you do not need to make spot or listen checks to notice creatures within 30 foot of you. You simply know they are there. Negates, displacement, blur, that sort of thing. Yeah. And where relevant, you can fight with your eyes shut. Because as you take Gatekeeper up in this fashion, you feel it. You are the ultimate sentry. Nothing will come past your guard. That's so awesome. So, um... The... What kind of action is it to combine the swords or decombine the swords? Uh, uh, it is a standard that goes up to a move if you have quick draw. Cool. So a move functionally. Yeah. Because it is not just a matter of just sort of idly slapping them against each other. You have to physically push them together, which is not that hard, and push your will into them. Yeah. 
ultimate sentinel mode yeah. um, you feel that you can see beyond your eyes you can sense everything around you and you can sense everything that isn't around you, things that are just beyond your threshold of perception as a mortal uh, you also get ethereal sight uh, you can see things that are ethereal fundamentally wow or rather you can't see them you sense they are there mm-hmm. And this is effectively, your blind sense extends beyond the material plane. Cool. So something that is there, that is um, ethereal, you simply sense. Mm-hmm. Which gives you a couple of vaguely useful effects, like being able to see walls of force yeah. and that kind of thing. But mostly it's that being ethereal doesn't help people against you. Yeah. Um, and you get what uh, burns those unseen is, because now you can see in yeah. creatures... And you can also you also feel the gatekeeper can reach out and cut down the things that try to slip through your grasp, the things that are not quite there. Uh, it's a ghost touch weapon as well. Oh wow! Wow! And then there's the other combination. Yep. Okay, I've got the first combination. So. Uh, I need to write these down now because you actually unlock your special abilities. I can see why Irvini wanted my sword so bad. That is Gatekeeper in Matchless Sentinel mode. Yep. That's a great name. That's what I'm going to call the combined... That, that's that's the, the great... Matchless Sentinel. Yeah. Uh, and then if you put Blight into it and will Blight's Blight yep. to be the dominant of the pair of blades, yep. um, then you get... It's a plus two bastard sword. It casts yep. Blight at will. Cold Iron Adamantine cast Dimensional Anchor automatically on anything yeah. you hit with it. Um, uh, yeah, you don't have to damage it, you just have to hit it successfully. So yeah. if you miss it, the Dimensional Anchor doesn't go off because the blade yeah. has not made contact. Um, uh, and the final one you get is that you feel that well, Gatekeeper is here to watch and to guard, Blight is here to slay. Yeah. Um, it is here to weed things out of existence. Um, it is here. It kills plants. It prevents things escaping your wrath and your, yep. and your killing. Um, and the last thing that it does is that you feel when you hold it, you ensure that you yourself, as the wielder of blight, will not be bound by other people's effects. Um, uh, as its third level one, it casts a targeted uh, greater dispel magic on you automatically um, at the end of any turn where you are under a hostile magical effect. Wow. So if you are, for example, dominated, at the end of your turn, um, Blight casts greater dispel magic on you at a cast level of 15 again in the effort to dispel the Dominate, the Drain Strength, the Remove yeah. Curse. There are uh, several. 
I think there are simple effects that you can't dispel, like flesh to stone. Yeah. But. And that is Blight, the Relentless Hunter. Oh, excellent. Does that all make sense to you? Yep. And again, as move action, you can separate them into two separate blades, at which point they do each do their own thing. Yeah. But you lose the third effect. Yeah. So effectively, it's advantageous to you to mix, mix and match depending on what you were doing. Yeah. So I have um, pondered the question of what the heck I'm going to do here. Yeah. And I think what I need is a character sheet for, for your, your swords. swords. So, I will write down Gatekeeper, assuming I have both weapons. Yeah, gatekeeper, Gatekeeper, yeah, the Magic Sentinel, Blight, Blight, the Relentless Hunter. Yes. And then I'll asterisk which one Kaelin commonly travels with. Yep. And then I can and note down my combo abilities. Yep. And of course, three of one and one of threes. So, presumably, if I can find Tanya's sword. Then it will do other things again. Good lord. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, and um you know, Kaylin's sitting down with Tristan Roverplayer as we as as we explore these things and after a couple of experiments he picks up the matchless sentinel and gives it a few practice swings and then he smiles a big happy grin. I like that. Tristan's just like I I'm I'm not even particularly invested in swords in any way, but that's incredible. I, I mean... By the tactical asset, I, I can certainly see the use for them. The amount of capacities that gives you is... I mean, being able, being able to destroy hostile plant creatures alone, I mean, um, I could have taken care of that, um, nasty thing that was threatening the, um... Dryad without needing Corwin's help, and the the sight and dimensional anchor. I mean, imagine if I'd been fighting Javun and I could just have cast dimensional anchor on him. These are. I mean, Gatekeeper has always um, been a wonderful weapon, and it's done a lot of damage to my enemies over the years. But did I help us? This is a this is a whole new level. And Michaela will sort of take one of them and look at it with a, a very appraising eye before she finally turns and hands it back to you. I would say these two blades are meant to be together. Three, wherever the third may lie. I am certainly motivated to seek it out, but I've got to say I'm, I'm pretty happy with my two as they stand, and I think I'll um, probably carry them combi- I'll probably compare it, carry them combined. And it's hard to see the downside. And Michaela will take them and basically for the purposes of testing them, works out, yeah, she can do this as well. She puts them together, she takes them apart, etc, etc. When she gives them to Tristan, he just claims two bastard swords together. Um, When she gives one of them merged together to Tristan, he takes it, sort of goes, ah, like it burns his hand. And by the time it's hit the ground, there's two bastard swords there. Yeah. 
So I think we'll, for for knowledge's sake, we'll experiment with Switlana and um, check that she can. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I I can actively answer this for you. When you play with this with several people, um, the essential limit is is not humanity; it is mortality. Yeah. Um, Tristan cannot do this. Yeah. First cannot do this. Yeah. Just about everyone else on your council can. Centaur, yeah. Centaurs included. Yeah. So Kaelin will convey to his inner circle absent Tristram that in the event that he's completely incapacitated, anyone else is welcome to borrow the swords. In the yeah. meantime, they're staying with Kaelin. Do you have anyone else really weird you could test it on? I don't think you do. I mean, I so can... first proves constructs can't do it. Tristan proves Faye can't do it. I would. Assume, I will try a core silver fire. Yeah. Or Denise if she's yeah, around. No, no, no difficulty. Yeah, I thought so. They're mortal enough to count. Yeah. Actually, I'll just double check that. I don't think centaurs are fey. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where they were once, but they're not now. Like no, like elves are not fey. Yeah. Uh, a centaur is a monstrous humanoid. Yeah. So. I mean, know. they were all elves and um, gnomes and centaurs were all fey once, but yep. they're not now. Yep. And like pearl avish. <laughs> Even presuming he were capable of holding. Yeah, I'm not going to. I'm Lavish and the great master of the sword. Oh, God, that's heavy. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't think. Per, I'm not going to try it out on Pearl Lavish because it's not. I know Tristram's willing to get nauseous in the interests of knowledge, whereas. Um, but it, it, it's. He looked pretty darn green the last time I took him down to the tripartite store. Yeah. So even if everybody had both of these blades, he couldn't necessarily do this with them. Right, yes. He, he was capable of wielding blight. Absolutely, and Tristan can wield it. Yeah. Tristan can hold on to it. He says it makes him feel very slightly queasy, but, you know, Eravini was a lot more hardcore than Yeah, Tristan. yeah. It just... It doesn't um, do anything, or rather, it doesn't do anything beyond its base ability. Yeah. So if Tristan wields Gatekeeper, what he gets is a plus two Corrosive Bastard Sword. Yeah. And if he wields Blight, what he gets is one Corrosive Bastard Sword and one Blight Casting Bastard Sword. Yeah. But they don't do anything else. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I can see... I'll write out all four sets so I can keep track of what they do separately versus together. Yeah. But given that I can have either ability, I'd probably travel with them, combined and pick a pick a standard. Yeah. Because um, it seems like I'd probably rather use Matchless Sentinel and then switch it to Relentless Hunter if I really need that ability, rather than um, keeping them separate and combining them yeah. when I need one of those abilities, because... Matchless Sentinel, you know, if I need any of Gatekeeper's special abilities, they're all right there as well. Yeah, the, the logic behind it is fundamentally, um, uh, you know, if you need to dimensional anchor something right now and you've got the wrong setting on, then you're kind of fucked. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I can't, I clearly can't have, you know, all 14 magical no. abilities at the same time. I, but I can have, you know, um, you know, the first, and obviously I can't have it casting that, you know, if someone dominates me and I've got it in matchless sentinel mode, then that's just too bad. Yeah. But then if I've got it in, um, relentless hunter mode and someone's sneaking up on me invisibly, well, there's not what well, I can do about is, that either. Well, one is strong, two add to ten, and it's possible a third one adds to twenty. Yeah. Thirty. But, who knows. Yeah. 
Okay, but Kaelin is now the happy possessor of two ridiculously OP bastard swords, and, you know, really the cat ain't the canary. <laughs> and you could, in theory, cast um, uh, Legend Lore on, um, on Blight, if you yeah. were so inclined. Although your guess is what it would probably return is three from one and one threes from one and one of threes from Great Sacrifice of Born the Keys. Something something dimensional anchor, something something dispel magic. Um, well one is strong, two add to ten, blah blah blah, blah 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 blah. Yeah, I feel like I kind of now have a much better understanding of what the swords are about without needing another um Yeah. Without needing another legend lore. And without knowing the name of the third blade a legend lore I'd be curious about that one but I'm not sure we have enough information to legend lore it uh, I think you can because you you can assess that it reasonably exists and if yeah. you turn out to be wrong the GM says your legend lore produces nothing yeah you are scrying on a completely invalid target there yeah. was no third blade or you know you might get you know where once this stood time has rusted yeah forever lost as the bloody bloody blah, 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 blah. um If you know only rumours that the thing exists, the casting time is 2d6 weeks and the lore is vague and incomplete, although it often directs you to more detailed information allowing a better legend lore the next time. So you absolutely have rumours that this thing exists. Yeah. All right. That's that's all you need. I am looking for the third blade, that which which belongs with Blight and Gatekeeper. Yep. So um, I might do a legend lore on it, but I'm not going to right now. Sure. Um, so because you're on kingdom time, like, yeah. just take a kingdom turn or two. Yeah, trust that will produce a result for you. Um, so what I want to do right now is um, uh, reach out to Titania, who, um, if you will recall, knows nothing about the blade. Yeah, I'm not going to. I'm explicitly not going to be wearing the two blades, and I'm not going to talk to her about the blades because yeah. that didn't work out well. Yep. But she wanted to talk to me generally, so this is more after the council session rather than after my sword playing session. Yep. So, when you call to her, um, you can feel the door opening, and indeed one of the doors in the room that you were in opens into a light, and you sort of step through, um, and you find yourself in the house that you were in again, the strange, the fable that you were in, looking through the various windows at your lands and now some of Vordekai's unblighted lands, now thick with jungle, um, and now Pytaxia, and the lands around there as well. The um, Glenborn Uplands. The Glenborn Uplands, yes. Thank you. Because I think we should use Pytaxia for that Correct. region of Mimon. You, you cannot see the city of Pytaxia anywhere yeah. within here, nor Mimon itself. Um, and there is one window here that is still shut and all shuttered and all the rest are open and you can see out across your lands in various places like that Kaelin has been mm. there's, there's not really any connection to I was there last week then the week yeah. before then here uh, what you can't see I think I'm trying to get is there are no places that Kaelin cannot identify yeah these are the places she's accessing these places through me going there originally and because they're on my lands. Actually. Uh, can't you give me some sort of knowledge geography theory? I can. Uh, however, I rolled the one and I have two, so that would be a three. Sure. 
So, as far as Caelan is aware, these are all places that look like they are within his lands. Although you do look at it and go, okay, like, that's a set of hills. Yeah, you know, yeah. It could be this set of hills. It could honestly be a set of hills in Dagmark, and I would have no way of knowing that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, um, Caelan's been a lot of places, and his lands now cover a very, very large area. That's true. And Titania is lying on her bed in sort of a pure white shift. Um, being the sort of woman that she is, she's very much lying in the very seductive pose, although you don't yeah. get the sense that she's deliberately coming on to you so yeah. much as this is her resting. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I rest like this. Yeah, yeah. She's just, she's always, she's, she always looks ridiculously e baggable whatever she's doing. Pretty much. <laughs> well, su- subtly phrased. Um, Caelan at this point just endeavours to tune this out, but, um... It, he's the kind of guy who's he's only moderately successful at this sort of thing at the best of times. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I don't think Kaylin's deeply invested in banging her, but, you know, it's a hot chick. Kaylin's deeply invested in not banging her on both the level that he's married yeah. Yeah, and on such the, a bad idea. And on the level that, you know, she's a, she's effectively a deity yep, and, yep. A, and not the kind he can understand and it really, would really freak him out and he doesn't want to sleep with her even one little bit. But he's only mortal, and he does look. And he's going to come in quietly and sit down, sit down gently on the edge of the bed. And she looks because um, I know she's tired. She she looks tired, um, but at this stage, no longer wrecked. She looks yep. like somebody who has been having several very late nights in a row. Yeah, but is still vaguely functional. She yeah. just needs several cups of coffee to get up and going, kind yeah. of thing. Whereas the last time you saw her, the last time you talked to her, rather than saw her, and what you got was. Uh, yeah. Caelan Peacebringer. The Clockwork King is dead. Aye. His foul metal nature and cruel mockery of life that he would make and the fiendish wars that he brought to our lands are forever struck down. You have done Incredibly. Kaelin will smile at her and um, gently pat her hand. It's good to see you feeling better. It took some considerable strength to banish Javun's army from entering through to bind the River Kingdoms against them. Or at least these elements of them and she gestures to all her myriad windows. But it is done, and they will not return. We owe you a great debt. I know it wasn't what your power is meant for, and it cost you greatly. I'm glad that you're recovering. And we owe you a great debt, because we couldn't have stopped them without you. I am here to do whatever I can to keep these lands at peace. And that which I could not do, that which touches too heavily on mortal concerns... Clockwork King and his armies, and her lips curl with a slight distaste. You have solved that, Caelan Peacebringer. I wish it could have been done without violence, as I have heard you express. But in the case of the Clockwork King, there was no other choice. There was no man there. Only, only, even beast is far too good a word. A machine. 
I think I would have liked to know him when he was alive. I think he was once a very great man, but he had gotten lost along his way. And I think he's at peace now. I'm quite certain that Castruccio lost his way. I do not believe that there was any heart left in such a thing to find peace. He was beyond it. You heard him speak that war was the inevitable state of the river, that war was the desired state of the river kingdoms, that peace could not be allowed. I think he may have been in some way geased. He told me that it wasn't by his own will that he was fighting me. I don't yet know what that was about, but I fear he was afraid of a darker threat to the river kingdoms. I don't approve of his method of trying to strike me down as his method of combating it, but I fear it's something we'll have to face together. I do not personally believe the machine had any will of its own, merely. I do not understand such devices, but a program, a drive, a purpose is not a will. And if there is a darker threat to the River Kingdom, to our River Kingdoms. I do not think there's something we'll have to concern ourselves of deeply until if and when that day comes. I think we might well have a time of peace. There are always new threats, but it's a, it's a time to grow again. Time to see what lies in the Glenbourne uplands. And she will sort of gesture languidly and over in the corner, basically, a bottle floats up, uncorks itself, pours into a gauntlet, into a gauntlet for the two of you, and she chinks a glass with you, and she says, To a time of peace, may it last forever. <laughs> to a time of peace. And that was basically it. She, yep. she wanted to congratulate you and thank you for killing Erevetti. Yeah. Because she's real happy about that. Yeah, I'll bet she is. Um, I will ask her if she has... Um, if she feels up to it, what she knows about the um, Forest of a Thousand Voices? Uh, good question. Because that's very much um, an area in her wheelhouse. Yes. Like the, I know the like, less of are afraid of it, but I don't know what her take on it is. She nods. The, thor- the forest that you call a thousand voices is ancient beyond measure. She gives a, a slightly girlish smile, as old as myself, even. <laughs> and um, Caleb will look impressed. Yeah. It was and there. avoid saying anything like, wow, that really is old. Yeah. <laughs> There's no real good way to compliment her woman, a woman on her super advanced years. But yeah. <laughs> but you, you don't look a day over 30. Yeah. Um. You understand the nature that the first world reflects what is on your mortal plane and vice versa. Aye. The Forest of a Thousand Voices was there first, and now it is thereafter. The two are similar, yet not entirely the same. It is a substantive tract of land. Is there anything specifically you, you wish to know of? Uh... Basically, what she's telling you is that um, what applies to one given hex and it won't necessarily apply to the next one, the entire forest is not a blighted, cursed doomed area. Um, I, uh, when I spoke to um, the little fae, Palavish and um, 
take part attacking the light, they advised me to steer clear of it. I guess uh, what I'm seeking is, as much as anything, is uh, I technically own the land, but I'm wondering if I should largely leave it to its own devices. I'm wondering what your thoughts are about the place in itself. Is it a place that's um, sacred to you or a place that's anti-opposed to your purposes? She thinks about this for several moments. It is a good question and a good sign of your heart. It is... I, first of all, I have great trust in your judgment to deal with such matters. You have walked a careful and well line of taking enough wood that your people may have homes and fire, yet leaving enough that the dryads and the fairy dragons may frolic freely. And Caelan will smile very widely at this, because that's a very heartening thing for him to hear. What walks and thousand voices are old fay and old trees. Not all of them the rooted creatures the rooted creatures of our life that you are used to. All trees live. Some trees live more than others. And you may take you may take what you will from the forest, but the dangers within it are likely to keep out your keep keep out most of your lumberers. I, for myself, do not mind if you take from its edges, but I would advise against expanding too far into the forest. Have you heard of a place? And she, in fact, she doesn't need to ask you this. She knows you've heard of a place. She thinks for a moment and says, you have heard of a place called the Castle of Knives. She Uh, doesn't need your confirmation. Yeah. The problem, from your point of view, with a thousand voices is that it remains too close to the first world. There are gaps where people can slip through. Uh, is she aware of Zadig's picnic? You haven't endeavoured to conceal that from her? No. Yeah. Khan Zadiga was such a man. I, when I saw the pictures, I wondered if you would run across him. He seemed to have pictures of what might have been a part of your domain when Triss lived there. Or possibly a, a darker region. I was occupied. She thinks about it for a moment and gives that sort of vague, abstract wave that you know. As close as you would follow it, I was occupied elsewhere and returned too late to catch his presence here. He entered the Castle of Knives, the area where one can slip between the edges of the blades of reality and he ended at the house and he made his way through and around the house at the end of time my home she says and gestures to the room that you are in and presumably what is beyond it the castle of knives is the doorway here you are free to enter it such as you can but this method is far simpler she says it gestures to the glowing door that you can sort of see your your castle room beyond I, I um 
having wandered somewhat lost lost in the first world at large, I'm glad to be here with you, but it's not a place as I want to be exploring on my own. I would I would likely recommend against that. The denizens of the denizens of the fable, the land I rule, what is the other side of Thousand Voices, have great respect for my words and my wisdom. It is likely that you would not be harmed, but I would not have my champion so damaged by mistake. Aye, I'm um, as well. Uh, I'm content with the mortal realm, and um, would rather uh, stay there. But I think um, Kansadaga didn't know what he was looking at or what peril he was in until it was too late. Hopefully, I, I would want to at least explore the area around it if I could, so I know what. But I'll um, endeavour to stay out of the castle. For whatever it is worth, I give you permission to enter the forest itself. Uh, by, to enter the forest itself, I merely urge you caution around the castle of knives in case reality is turning when you enter the area. I'll keep an eye out. But basically what she's telling you is you've, you've got the dead right of it, and what's on the other side of Thousand Voices is her home. Right. Literally. Well, listen. So it's it's not only a forest; it's her forest. Right. Cool. All right. Well, I'll take good care of it then. But um, I'll also be fairly careful. Um, and then there was one more thing as I looked at it that I want to ask. The other place I wanted to ask about was Hemlock Island. I understand that it's like Candlemere. She closes her eyes and concentrates for a moment. Um, and something flickers in one of the windows. Uh, and that will probably actually answer one of your questions. Uh, that actually, to some extent, does answer your knowledge geography check because something flickers in one of the windows and changes, and you can see a place that Kaylin has definitely not been. Ah, uh, nice. Yeah, but she sense. can still see it. Yeah. Um, and. You are welcome to draw whatever conclusion from that you like, or give me some sort of intelligence check. I'll roll the intelligence check, and I have the conclusion I naturally come to in mind. But that was a 28, so that was relatively good. Cool. What is your conclusion? My theory is that because because she has a lot of power in my lands, and because those are now the lands that I claim... Yep that she can still see them, it's just a bit harder. Yep, she can see places I've been to or been to frequently more easily. You're, you're dead right. Hemlock so, Island is now, for many intents and purposes, a part of the Kingdom of Static for one. Yeah. You may not have claimed the Hex in the sense that you're working it, yeah. but your borders encompass it. Yeah. All other kingdoms acknowledge that Hemlock Island belongs to you. Yeah. In a way that Pytaxia doesn't. Yeah. And Ergo, I guess it belongs to her, or it's yeah. been in her realm. Yeah, I feel like because something in that name. It seems like the more travel, the more places Caitlin goes to wearing the amulet, and the more lands he claims, the greater her power grows. Yeah. When it comes up in the window, for a few minutes, what you can see is sort of a fairly peaceful-looking lake. Uh, and I'll just dig up. A fairly peaceful looking lake with 
a small island similar to Candlemere. It's maybe a couple of kilometres across. It's certainly not huge. Um, What you can see there is there are no ruins to be seen or any sign of any sort of habitation on the island whatsoever. And after looking at it for more than a few moments, there's something wrong with... It wasn't wrong in the window, but the more you look at it through the window, the more it's getting wronger. There are sort of shadows moving around it. The sun angle's wrong. The sun is up here, but the shadows point directly against it instead of moving away from it. And you can hear the faint, faint sounds of something screaming slightly in the background. It's... There's nothing about it you could put your finger on. It's just... It's wrong. Mm -hmm. Hemlock Island. So it has been called... Like Candlemere, an old ruin, a place that should not be a portal to the outer darkness. What I see of it is that it has been sealed and thoroughly, yet it is still an unclean space in the same way that Candlemere is. I would not be deeply concerned about it while it risks... In, well, it risks a breach, as is always possible while you remain on Galarian. It is not likely. That's great to know. Thank you very much. I will um, explore it to see what's there and check it, and then um, leave it well alone. The, I'm not minded to claim such places. The, um, it's better that people stay out of them. But while they're on my lands, I can encourage people to stay out of them. Perhaps a bit more tactfully than Eretti did. But yeah. The, but yeah, the the island does not look at all, even excluding all the sort of weird supernatural crap, which you suspect is not something that's actually there that you could see yeah. if you're walking around the island. It's either her perception of it or the way it's viewed from yeah. the fable. Um, but the island itself does not look particularly appealing. All the land is just completely dead. So, is, is the the fable is also name? Is the fable her domain? The fable is her domain, and, and where she lives is the house of the end of time. The house of the end of time, or the and house of forgotten time. The house of forgotten time. Is but that's her house in her realm. Correct, which she is presently in, in very much the same way your kingdom is Stagthorn, your home is Castle Stagthorn. Yeah. Um, and there is a physical building called the Castle of Knives that exists in your realm that leads here, effectively yeah. like the start of a road, in the same way you've, you've seen a few of those areas where the first world yeah. is bleeding through like that, except it's bled through to such an extent that the Castle of Knives is sometimes there and sometimes it isn't. Yeah. So Khan Zadiger presumably went in, went, whops, that mysterious castle, walked into it, and then turned around to leave and went, that the world is gone. Yeah. Does it all, all make sense? It's it very does. metaphysical. It's awesome. And yep, and at that point I will um you know talk yep. d- talk in a friendly manner and then take my departure. Yep. Yeah, the castle of knives is the castle that is sometimes there. Yep. And sometimes not. And now that I know it goes to her realm, that's nice and straightforward. It's sort of 
Honestly, if, I'd, if I'm going to be trapped in the first world anywhere, I'd probably rather it was her realm, but I don't want to be trapped in the first world anywhere, even her realm. And I really absorb her message that she'd like that to be safe for me, but she can't guarantee that it would be. Uh, and actually, do you have Zadig's picnic on you, or did you give it back to me? Uh, I'm not sure. I don't think I have it on me, but I could... I think it might have gone in, like, one of the, um handout, um, you know, you've got those piles of um, various kingdom paperwork. It's possible that we put it in there. But I'll just check and see if it's in any of my handouts. I might have kept it. I know there was a bunch of notes in there about interesting things that he saw. Because you were asking some of the right questions that will get you more answers. Oh, shiny. So so now you have a few pieces of paper. Uh, yep, I've got Zadiga's picnic. Cool. So, I'll come around to you. Um, so he basically, um, he was sitting down to have a picnic in the forest, presumably the actual forest of a thousand voices, when a crow stole his spoon, he chased it presumably into the Castle of Knives, which may not be quite as literal as an actual castle, because he doesn't describe it that way. Titania describes it as, like, blades cutting through reality. Um, followed it into the First World, retreat, um, went through bizarre places, retrieved the spoon, went back. Um, and he went here. Ah! And there's your map of the other side of A Thousand Voices with... The House of Forgotten Time. Ah! Cool, that makes sense. Cool, yep, so this is the... And he's got directions. Yes, because... picnic gives you directions. Because, as you would expect, um, the fable makes no sense geographically. You yeah. can't walk from point... You can't go, I can see the castle over there, so if I just walk north, I'll find it. I walk north and come out in a desert, mm-hmm. the, the, and the castle is no longer there, because... Yeah. Of the first world. Mm-hmm. Because it's a, it's the geography makes no sense. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's logic doesn't logic need not apply. Yeah. So yeah. Cool. Titania, magic. Yes. Bastard swords, etc. Yes. Shiny. So yeah, and then I think um, Kaylin um, gets set up with um, takes um, transformer um, the mighty clockwork lance. Takes Blight and Gatekeeper and combines them into the um, Matchless Sentinel, and with his new awesome weapons, sets out with his wife to journey through, move on to Pytaxia, and bring the Clockwork King home. Cool. And that's um, those blind sensey things are likely to be the kind of thing I forget as the GM yeah, yeah. always do. So you're free to tell me if I go, ah, you know, you sense like like. You know, you need to make a listen check. You can go, well, is is it within 30 foot of me? Yeah. Because I feel the thing. Yeah. You go, yes, the invisible creature is sneaking up on you. Well done, you. Yeah. Yeah, I've got to say, I feel like um, while the constant dispelling is awesome, the matchless sentinel is much more Kaelin's extremely poor spot check, spot check friendly thing. Yeah. Although, it, it, because it's only 30 foot, yeah. you have setups like Irovetti's over there. 
and you remain totally ignorant of this fact until you arbitrarily move within 30 foot of him. Yeah, like, um, in the scenario the clockwork dragon flies in and we see it, it's got invisible Iravetti on its back and we engage in fireball duels and it flies closer, yep. and we have no idea Iravetti's in it because I've not engaged yep. in I'm not yep. close enough. And blind sense and um, ethereal sense both do not defeat illusions. You, yep. don't, you don't receive an impression that there's nothing there. Yeah. What you'd get is, if invisible Eravetti is there, you know there's something invisible there. Yeah, but the thing is, on the other hand, as the dragon flew up to me, I would be aware as he came within 30 feet of me before he hit me in the chest with the lance and sneak attacked me? Absolutely, yes. At which point, he's still invisible, but he's no longer um, deriving it, benefits, benefits from it. it. Yeah. I'm so glad these have names. One of the things I treasure about Gatekeeper is its name, and... You're welcome to name the lance um, something else applicable, but Eravetti's named it nothing. Yeah. He's no poetry in his soul. Uh, I'm not wild about Transform. I'll give it no, some nor am I. Maybe we give it some thought. Yeah, let's give it some thought. There's bound to be a cool Transformer name out there. Somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so Blindsight functionally does not interact with illusions in any meaningful way. They do not defeat them, dispel them, make you aware they're illusions, anything of the sort. It's merely your blind sense totally tells you that that illusion is there until you start posing at which point you get a will save. If you fail the will save, your blind sense totally tells you there's a man standing there. Yeah. Um, relentless. For the last. Uh... Why relentless? Because it's something that Aravetti is. It's fair. But Blight's already the relentless hunter. Ah, that's true. Yeah, right. That's um, that's it's already a bit close. Yeah, you're right. It is. I'll give it. We'll give, give it, it some thought. Between sessions. Yep. Cool. And yeah, I think that's as we set out on our um, journey. That's probably the camera pans out on us. Um, Sailing on the ship down the river with the um, with the body yep. um, wrapped in the um, royal blankets that were covered by the cloth. Thanks. So uh, I'd like to declare because this will probably come up. Um, what we've done is gently shut the faceplate again, but not locked it yep. for the ease of transport. Yeah, makes sense. When we're going to display him to his people, I'm going to open yeah, the faceplate. You, you effectively put on the one latch. Yeah, I'm going to take off the latch and display it to him with the faceplate open. Makes sense. And we can make a scene out of that or not, as you please. I, I want to do scenes in Pytaxia cool. before we... Uh, that feels like a... Going to see Rasseline and then yep. you know displaying the body to the people and yep. things. It feels like um, there's some drama there. So down the river you head, Viking funeral style. The clockwork king lying in the boat. Yeah, honestly, um, if he hadn't just declared a desire for a display of his remains, burning him in a longship would actually be a, a, a not an awesome way <laughs> to do. But no, we'll go with what he wanted. Bryn sort of spends the journey, kind of. Uh, slightly away from him, sort of just perched deliberately on the prow. Kind yeah. Of thing. <laughs> um, and you sail down the river into whatever fate may find you next. The time of peace. The time of war is over. The time of peace has begun. Dum dum dum. dum. dum.